and thanks for listening. I'm recording this episode on December 13th of 2020, just a day before our lovely um, solar eclipse on the south node in Sagittarius. And we are rapidly approaching the Great Conjunction, which is when Saturn and Jupiter come together in the sky at the exact same degree. This happens about every 20 years. Um, I, (laughs) I have tried to organize all of my thoughts around this. Um, it's taken me quite a while. I haven't done a podcast in a hot minute. Um, I've been focusing a lot of my work on Patreon now. For those of you that may be interested, just sort of breaking things down into smaller bits, um, offering more like practical exercises, more in-depth information, and um, more precise details regarding transits and all of that, um, which is one of the reasons that I haven't been doing the podcast quite as often. Um, I unfortunately find that while you want to, you know, I'm not for being a gatekeeper of information by any means. I think that knowledge should be widely available, but of course, I mean, it's unfortunately part of human nature for people to, um, when they stumble upon information that they find attractive and or profitable, they can sort of attempt to co-opt that in some way and make it their own um, and present it as their own without giving due credit. So, due to some unfortunate experiences that I've had personally, um, I felt that it was better to just at least put a, a very small paywall in front of my work so that it's not as easy um, for people to essentially just emulate it word for word. Um, astrology does not belong, you know, to any one person at all. And I certainly do my best to give credit where credit is due to the people whose work has informed my understanding and my practice and my study. Um, but not everybody reciprocates, um, or has that same attitude about, you know, um, giving, giving people the credit they deserve. Um, it's, it's certainly a lot easier to just present someone else's hard work or ideas as your own. So, um, yeah, so I'm on Patreon more. Um, if you are so inclined and intrigued, it's patreon.com slash practical underscore magic with a K at the end. Um, but anyway, here we are. Um, we are coming up on the Great Conjunction. I have seen some misinformation kind of swirling around or just like not well-informed information and I feel uh, some responsibility. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a source of endless critique, but I also, as somebody who has, you know, studied and practiced astrology amongst other things for a long time, um, there is this feeling of responsibility to 
mm, present a whole picture of a particular transit or aspect that occurs, um, and that of course takes time (laughs) and effort and study. So I felt compelled to do that with this particular conjunction because it's being painted in a overly optimistic light in a lot of pop astrology and just like the social media realm of astrology and um, I don't know spirituality I guess for lack of a better word so yeah I (laughs) I want to be honest about the full spectrum of what this conjunction could mean and that inevitably leads me into certainly um, a critique of misinformation or unembodied information, disembodied information, we'll say that. Um, so the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction, again, happens every 20 years. This particular time, it's occurring in Aquarius. So there's been a lot of stuff circling around online about the age of Aquarius, which is um, a misnomer as to what the Great Conjunction means. Um as well as I think that's just a term that people don't don't quite fully understand. And I see it actually come up a lot just based on when Saturn um, is in Aquarius. Because Saturn is one of those planets that affects larger groups. It's slightly less personal. So it has this effect on culture. The the larger planets do that. Um, so Saturn can kind of set the tone of the culture. And Aquarius is a sign that is very, very um, innovative and progressive and forward-thinking. However, it is also a sign that is um, prone to getting pretty detached from reality. It's very ungrounded. Um... And it's a spectrum, so when I describe signs to my clients or students, um, each sign is a a spectrum of a certain intention or a certain goal, right? So Aquarius' goal is what is best for everyone, right? What is um, going to benefit humanity as a whole, And the way that it achieves this varies from, you know, scientific innovation, technological innovation, um, new forms of of culture and progress that at the time seem very weird. Aquarius, um, especially in like the astrology meme world, um, you know, people always like have a lot of cross-references to like aliens and and just being otherworldly when it comes to Aquarius. But the other end of that spectrum, of course, is this cult-like mentality to where the collective is so important that the individual is dissolved. Um, And Saturn being the ruler of Aquarius, it does have a different translation um, 
in Aquarius than it does in Capricorn. So Capricorn is much more about the individual and individual success and individual gain. And this is definitely a lot of the energy that we see in the West generally, especially in America, you know, the whole everybody is solely responsible for their own success, which is a myth. Um, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps story. Yeah. Another myth. I mean, there are parts of it that are true. Um, but that's not the whole picture, right? So that's Saturn and Capricorn. And now we have Saturn moving into Aquarius where it's actually quite more about the group and the whole. Um, so when we look back at Saturn and Aquarius through the course of history, and we'll just do like recent, you know, recent American culture. Um, in the 60s, there was a revival of astrology, and um, that's sort of where we saw the second wave of the so-called New Age movement, right? That's when the quote-unquote Age of Aquarius thing really started to take off. Now, again, this is just kind of like a misnomer for people who don't study astrology in depth. They don't actually know what that means. So the age, you know, the astrological age that we are in is determined by the precession of the equinox. So when the vernal equinox occurs in certain signs, that is the sign that it occurs in is essentially what determines the age. We are still based on what I have studied myself. And again, I'm not, I'm not an astronomer, um, but it's largely accepted within the actual, you know, quote unquote academic astrology, um, circle that we're not quite at the age of Aquarius. So the vernal equinox is still occurring in the sign of Pisces, but we are nearing it. And the general consensus is that that shift will actually happen around 2150 to 2500. Um, so not within our current lifetime, essentially. Um, it is approaching, but an age lasts a pretty long time. So while I think there's something to be said for fostering Aquarian qualities, um, we have not arrived there. Um, but it's, you know, the age of Aquarius is something that seems to always pop up when Saturn is in Aquarius because the culture naturally leans towards those themes. So in the 60s, we had um, the early 60s, we had this resurgence of astrology and you had the counterculture um, and these Eastern practices coming to the West. So meditation and ashrams and yoga and um, themes of like non-attachment and um, interestingly enough it has become and I say this from experience as somebody who used to teach yoga and meditation um, and went through teacher training and all of that when cultures cross-pollinate inevitably some things get lost in translation because culture is something that develops over a long period of time. And so it is sort of its own evolutionary process. 
And um, this definitely ties into the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction because Saturn is interested in the long-term gameplay, if you will, the long-term goal, setting some kind of foundation that will be long-lasting, and Jupiter is concerned with expansion and growth and um, has a lot of ties to religious and spiritual practices because that's a form of mental expansion, right, or emotional expansion. Um, So when these two come together, we are looking at the potential to set a new cultural tone, but it doesn't happen overnight. And that cultural tone is inevitably going to be flavored by the sign in which this conjunction occurs, which in this case is Aquarius, which is that very progressive um, humanitarian... I want to say like it's a fo- it can be a force of liberation um but it doesn't always translate that way. So I say all this to say like this is why <laughs> this is why I'm talking through this um because it does it does align with what we're getting ready to experience. Um so we have to look at it from a bigger picture as well as a, histor- a historical context, right? Um, because astrology is essentially, at its foundation, it's pattern recognition. Um, and it's been around for really, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries. And um, people have noted correlation or causation, whichever way you want to think about it. Um, in these aspect patterns, you know as above, so below, is essentially a recognition that the movement of celestial bodies, for whatever reason, does translate to the change within our life as human beings. So, when we have cultures cross-pollinate, there there are certain things that are lost in translation because it started, you know, the native culture, if you will, like, Eastern culture that um, evolved with these practices to develop these practices. Um, Culture comes from necessity a lot of the time. So whatever that group of people needs to understand or needs to know is what dictates the culture. In the postmodern era, we're, we're moving away from that in a lot of ways because everything is so deconstructed and, um, It's difficult to even know how to build a culture around anything anymore because it's all nebulous and global and um, absurd (laughs) at times, Um, which is very Aquarius, right? But when these practices like meditation and mindfulness and um, transcendence of the ego and annihilation of the ego and the concept of not really having a self or, you know, your quote unquote higher self, what we know in the West as meditation and Eastern flavored practices has been influenced by Western culture. And there's a lot of things that I think people, if they don't know the history, they don't understand the roots of 
these practices. Um, so it's, you know, they take it at face value, but it's coming at them from a Western perspective. So the initial practice and intention of practice has been morphed by the culture that it now, you know, exists within, which is just what happens. Um, (laughs) it's very hard to, um, explain something that's been developed in a certain part of the world for thousands of years to a new group of people who did not have that same experience and that same necessity and that same culture without losing pieces of it because it just doesn't, um, it just doesn't translate fully. Like there are words in other languages that in English we don't have the exact translation for because it's just not, it was not a part of our culture to even come up with such a word or such an idea. So I kind of wanted to take some time to explain to the best of my ability, um, based on what I have studied personally, and I'm not like obviously a scholar (laughs) in this field at all, nor do I claim to be, but I do have years of experience with meditation and studying Eastern practices personally. Um, so I just want to sort of deconstruct a little bit of the mythology around, the way that these Eastern cultures are being um, portrayed within the West. So, and this is again in service to presenting a full-bodied, realistic picture of what the Great Conjunction in Aquarius actually means versus how it's being portrayed. Um, So, okay. Um, Mindfulness... Um, which is essentially like Vipassana meditation. Um, Initially, meditation is about awareness, like cultivating a better, clearer awareness. A lot of people like to use the word consciousness, um, but I find that that word, especially in Western culture, has way too much baggage that clouds the understanding of what we're trying to get at here. So I like to say awareness because it's it's more clean and simple to understand. Like if your eyes are open and you're awake, that is awareness in the most fundamental sense. So um, meditation is a form of cultivating your awareness so that you are more in charge of it, right? Like you're more conscious of where you're placing that awareness. Um, Sam Harris, who is a neuroscientist as well as, um, you know, a big proponent of uh, meditation and, and mindfulness practice, but also very much grounded in reality. He doesn't, um, he's not religious at all, and he looks at this from a very practical, logical standpoint, um, which I personally appreciate. Um talks about awareness or, you know, quote unquote consciousness as like a spotlight and the bigger or the wider that you diffuse a spotlight, right? It's softer and it's not quite as bright. So the more that you can concentrate it and reel it in and refine it to a smaller point, the brighter it gets. 
and meaning like the the awareness is stronger and more focused and when it's not focused it's very diffuse and weak and scattered so I try to explain things quite literally because that's the easiest way to grasp these things and I see a lot of um a lot of these things online being talked about in extremely abstract notions and it just is confusing or misleading so this is just my approach to explaining things. Um, so if we think about meditation as simply a practice of refining your ability to control your awareness, to control where you're putting your attention, where you're putting your focus, um, obviously, or at least it seems obvious to me, that's a very beneficial practice, even if it's removed from any concept of spirituality, right? Like being able to be in charge of your attention and your mind and choosing where you want to pay attention, um, it's just going to lead to a better quality of life. When someone has anxiety um, or depression, and I'm not saying this to like trivialize those experiences because they are real experiences but um cultivating a practice of meditation when it's removed from expectations of like enlightenment which we'll get into that later um when it's removed from all these like abstract emotional um intangible goals And when it's just simply approached as, I would like to understand how my mind works, then it becomes a lot less intimidating. It's still, it's still difficult to practice, especially at first, because it's not something that we're taught in the West, typically. It's not our default setting to be um, still and self-aware. A lot of us, especially in modern culture, we're just on autopilot, you know, we're just getting through our day, we're just doing what we have to do, but that doesn't mean that we're actually in control of ourselves, right? You're largely operating on pre-existing programming, Um, the the very comfortable neuropathways that are connected within your brain, that's what you know how to do without thinking about it, and that's just what creates our our habit patterns. which inevitably influence how we view our lives. So somebody with anxiety or OCD um, or depression can learn through the you know right kind of meditation or the right approach to meditation. They can learn to kind of separate the visceral immediacy of their thoughts and see that it's just a thing that happens, right? You're not your thoughts, but you are your awareness because your awareness is inevitably what influences your life experience. So the more that you learn to understand how you are currently, um, how your awareness currently operates, the easier it becomes to change that programming, if you will, or um, the easier it becomes to at least accept that that is a reality, right? Like that is the reality that you're contending with. And then once you're aware of it, you can sort of learn to shift it. Um, not saying it's easy, (laughs) 
but it is possible. And they've done lots of studies on this. And I'm not saying it's a cure-all because it's not. Um, And I think presenting it as such is dangerous and misinformed and misguided. And it's just like false advertising. Um, But I just kind of wanted to break that down because there are things that, again, they get lost in translation. So when meditation is... Um, taught in the West now, it's generally presented as a way to get ahead, right? If you focus better, you can perform better at your job and you can make more money or make your company more money. Um, That's like what mindfulness has essentially become or it's taken to this very abstract spiritual, you know, I'm using air quotes here, pursuit of knowing yourself, right? Know it like this capital S self. This is something that has been manipulated through translation from East to West because the West, the foundation of Western culture is definitely based within the mind, based within the mental realm, within logic and reason, although it doesn't seem like it so much now. (laughs) But the foundation of Western culture was founded on those things. If you go back to, you know, Stoic philosophy or um, a lot of the philosophies of ancient Greece, um, there's this focus on the individual that I mentioned earlier. And the West is definitely um, about the singular hero, the, um, the one... I mean, if you look at our culture, you know, the archetypes of, like, Marvel and DC and a lot of the movies that we have, you know, that is, that is a reflection of culture. And it's, it's always like one man against the world. (laughs) That's, that's such a foundation of how we think in the West. Um, It's part of our mythology and our, you know, um, religion in the sense that, like, everybody inherently tends to believe in that story because it's it's what we have known to to be the case it's what we've been taught it's what we've accepted is largely true so um in eastern traditions with regards to meditation especially if you look at like buddhism or hinduism there's this concept well let me backtrack a little um the, the idea of not having a self is very Buddhist in nature, but what that means isn't what we think it does at first instinct, being from the West. So the, the idea of not having a self, um, and this is a great reflection of like the spectrum of Aquarius. So um, Aquarius is all about the collective and being communal and the notion of not having a self sounds like um, we take it quite literally in the West we think that it means that we don't exist as an individual which is not true Um, it has this psychological tendency from our perspective to mean that we don't matter or that we don't 
need to exist as an individual. So in the sense that like, um, sometimes it can take a postmodern, um, feeling to it and that's not really what it means, um, in the East. So Eastern culture is much more group driven and group, um, oriented. And that's why there's a lot of, there's still a lot of systems of like honor culture and not bringing shame to your family. And you're only good as your contribution to the whole, right? Whereas the West, we're pretty much exactly the opposite, um, where you're only as good as your own personal individual success and fuck everybody else. Right. And the idea is to meet in the middle. Um, so what the necessity or the culture that, that gave way to this is that understanding within the East of like, oh, you know, it's a very agrarian culture in a lot of places. You had to be part of the group or nobody would survive, um, which is true for all human beings from a primitive standpoint. Like the only reason we've gotten this far is because of social cooperation, which is rapidly disintegrating. But <laughs> sorry if you hear my teacup. Um, okay. So what this actually means is more like if you do um, Zogen meditation, which is a certain branch of meditation, um, it's more about, it, it's, non, it's non-dual. And that's, some people can grasp it and some people can't, and that's not a put down in any way. It's just like people's brains operate differently. And so some people struggle with this idea of, of non-duality. And that's okay. Um, It's not something that we inherently understand because it's not how we experience life because we do have a left brain and a right brain. So um, when you do Zogen, what you're doing rather than trying to know your true self in the sense that we think, um, you know, like this higher self, this ascended being, this, you know higher level of consciousness, all you're really doing is just sitting and watching your thoughts until the barrier between, you know, your notion of self, your notion of you as a person, doesn't become separate from your awareness. So you understand that whatever happens in your scope of awareness is just happening and it doesn't have anything to do with you um, in a lot of ways. And so it doesn't put this barrier between observer and what is observed. And you just understand that it's all just happening at the same time. Whereas other forms of meditation, um, more, I guess more in line with like Hindu Hinduism and the notion of Brahman and Atman and this higher being in the West, we, you know, when we talk about like, know your true self, be your highest self, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's a very Western notion. And it's this, it becomes this program of like being the best you that you can be rather than just understanding, um, the nature of your mind. So it becomes this goal-setting, sort of egocentric thing. And I don't say that to say that we shouldn't be better. Um, There's always room for improvement. But it becomes this aggressive 
acquisition of some kind of like spiritual clout, right? Like, and then this is what devolves into like kooky, new agey, higher self, higher consciousness, 5D thing that we see in our culture now. And it's, it's coming back really hard now, which I don't find to be surprising because Saturn is going into Aquarius on top of the ways that people search for meaning and control when things are so uncertain, which is what 2020 has been for us. And so the shadow of Aquarius in the other direction, and if you know, if you know um, any Aquarius people, some of them are like this, right? Um, it becomes, because Saturn is its ruling planet, it becomes about being so special that you can't be part of the group or that you're somehow above the group, right? So you're so weird or you're so woke or you're so special that you can't relate to people anymore, which is isolation and restriction, which is the, you know, the shadow of Saturn. So ideally, um, the, we want to find the middle ground, right? In the way that we relate to people and groups, as well as how we relate to ourselves, because you are an individual. You're having your life experience and other people, even people who know you really well, can't live your life for you, right? They can't be in your shoes. Um, so your individual experience matters, but it also doesn't matter more than the collective experience. And there should be, in my mind, um, you know, it, the inherent truth that a collective is only a group of individuals, right? So the collective is reflective of the individuals and the, the common threads that tie individuals together. That should be obvious, but because our current culture is so polarized and extreme, um, it's like it, it's all or nothing, right? You're, you're to, we have these collective groups of people who believe and think that they're the only ones who know truth, they're the only ones who um, are woke or are aware, they're the only ones who are suffering, they're the only ones who are smart, you know, pick your poison, but <laughs> groups of individuals who think that they are exceptional are are clumping together and then seeing everything else as other. Everything else is like, well, you can never understand me. Um, you're beneath me. You're bad, right? This is an extremely, extremely dualist perspective. Um, and it's just part of the human experience. We cycle through this, um, Again, this is something that astrology helps give context to and history. It's just patterns, patterns of human evolution. The pendulum swings back and forth, and right now, this is where we are. So, um, there's this notion being portrayed around, you know, the quote-unquote age of Aquarius or the um, new age. It's, it's, it's cycled through our culture many, many times. But 
you have to be alive long enough to see it happen more than once to recognize it, or you have to be well-informed about human history to recognize the pattern. Um, But right now, a lot of the stuff I'm seeing is about essentially how everything is magically going to get better. (laughs) And that is, I think hope is important. Um, And hope is a very Jupiter um, attribute, right? Jupiter wants to have a good time. Jupiter wants to be optimistic and cheerful and lucky and blessed. And um, we've had Jupiter in Capricorn which is not not a sign that it does well in, even when it's by itself. But it's been stuck between Saturn and Pluto. It's been getting beaten up by the biggest malefics in, you know, within our system. And it just hasn't really been able to do a lot. So now that it's moving into Aquarius, it's still with Saturn for a year, but it starts to break away from that. So it's going to, it's definitely going to be less, um, harsh. It's not going to be immediate. And ultimately when Saturn and Jupiter are together, Jupiter still has to follow Saturn's lead. So Jupiter is going to be able to help Saturn with its goal. So long-term, um, but slow moving progress, right? We're in Aquarius, um, the sign of innovation, Um, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be this massive revolution. And if there is, I don't think it would be the wonderful kumbaya moment that a lot of people want it to be or naively think it will be. And if you have studied history, then you know that revolutions that happen abruptly are quite bloody and quite destructive, and it's very hard for a society to pull itself out of that carnage afterwards. Um, So I think portraying 2021 and the Great Conjunction as this aha moment where we're all going to wake up and just be better without doing the work of being better is unfair and unrealistic. And I think too, there's this, um, I see this a lot in like new agey type circles. There's this notion that you don't have to do anything, right? It's just like, well, this is how it is, but, but the, the new age is coming and we're all going to ascend and it's all going to be wonderful. And that's never happened in the course of human history. We've had better times and worse times, certainly. Um, But it's not like there has ever been a moment in human history where everyone just magically got along and was excellent to each other. We're animals. And that doesn't mean that we can't evolve and be better, but it also does not happen overnight. And I I fear for the people that naively assume what they have read or, you know, watched on TikTok or wherever (laughs) that um, the promised land is coming. And this is a myth that 
again, it's the same story, different names, different costumes. It's the same story that we've been telling ourselves forever. And there's this, um, I find it, I find it very comical, the inherent duality within spiritual circles, like as a whole. So, um, for instance, like fundamental Christianity is founded on this um, scary idea of like, oh, the apocalypse, it's always the end times, the world is always ending, we're always like right on the cusp. Um, I mean, it can feel like that this year, but this is a story that's been going on for so long now. And people within that realm really believe that like this is it and they're special and they're trying to save people but only only people that like they agree with and care about right they're not they're not going out of their way to have difficult discussions with people who are different than them so there's this evangelical aspect to it about you have to tell people you have to let people know like we have this knowledge and we have to you know wake up the world right um and there's definitely an inherent savior complex within that that i mean definitely makes sense you know with like the story of christ and um pre you know the importance of like preaching the gospel, um, although again, that's something that didn't, that aspect of it didn't necessarily come from Christ, again, air quotes, like the being of Christ or the character of Christ or whatever, um, that was something that came later, and that is, you know, the, the, good versus evil, light versus dark duality of a lot. I mean, really any fundamentalist religion, right? That's, that's the story. We still see that within our culture. A lot of good guys are inherently good. A lot of bad guys are inherently bad. There's not a lot of nuance and gray area in terms of morality. Um, it's not integrated. It's still not integrated <laughs> very well. I, I don't know if it ever will be. Um, but that's where we are. So that's where we've been for a while. I see the same story in a lot of like new agey groups or spiritual groups of like light versus dark. And they take it, they take it to another level. And again, it's the same story. It's just like different characters, right? Where you get into this whole, um, we're being controlled by aliens in another dimension and um there's you know you have to raise your vibration and you have to um they st- they have that same evangelical streak to them where they think they have this really really special information and they have to tell everyone because you want people I don't know um, if it's that, 
I think some people definitely have their hearts in the right place and they think they're doing good. I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt there. But I think also there's something about just wanting validation and wanting to feel special. And that's a very human thing, right? But we see in people whose families have rejected them, if they have a lot of um, toxic family dynamics with especially with their parents you know they don't feel understood they don't feel accepted they don't feel acknowledged and seen so they don't feel special then they find groups that make them feel all those things that they lacked in their childhood and it's just us working out our shit right in whatever way we can find it at that time And ironically, it's the same reason that people join cults, like religious cults, and it's the same reason people join hate groups. There's always an other, and you are always the hero, and you are always special. I think that's hard for people to look at and accept and see, you know, when you... When you remove yourself emotionally, and I'm not a fan of, like cutting off emotions. I think they're extremely important. So I hope that that's not how this sounds. But when you remove yourself on a personal level from whatever, you know, emotional connotation these groups have for you, and you look at them, it's, it's so much like the Ouroboros that's eating its own tail, right? Like these groups, that's where they meet. And so if you feel rejected and unloved and ostracized and then you you're inevitably going to connect with people who share that feeling and then you're all going to reinforce your own specialness and your own acceptance and your own love and your own intelligence to each other because you never got it anywhere else and this is what leads to hive mind mob group mentality But instead of, you know, when you get in those groups, um, it becomes, you know, the, the word echo chamber gets tossed around a lot, but I don't think people really appreciate what this means. And it's not just something that happens online. I mean, people, and this is a very Saturn thing too, when we're dealing with, um, boundaries, people can create their own curated bubble of reality now, thanks to the internet, which is very Aquarius. I think it's funny And timely that the internet is having its Saturn return now. So the last time Saturn was in Aquarius is when the internet became like widely available for personal use. And now we're seeing lawsuits against these giant social media tech companies who have been abusing their power and have essentially created massive social issues within our culture because people have been able to wall themselves out of the collective reality and they have created their own that reinforces what they already believed and so when you break away that diversity within a group which is you know diversity within the group and individual expression within the collective is the ideal expression of Aquarius um when you remove the diversity from the group you end up with you end up with a monoculture and it's so easy to lose touch with 
reality as an objective truth or as an objective experience. We live in a highly, highly subjective culture now. And part of this is because of social media and because of our detachment and our very individualistic um, lives that have um, separated us from, you know, there used to be some sense of collective reality, right? Um, some sense of cultural cohesion where even though, you know, everybody has their own experience, but you walk outside and, you know, the sky is blue. Okay. Um, we, (laughs) we, I can't believe I'm saying this. We used to all believe that the earth was round, right? It was like, yeah, this is, science has told us this. The earth is round. We live on a globe. And now it's like this crazy regression that's happening of um, the flat earth is becoming a thing. And of course, this is a a facet of curated reality that is... um, it's kind of just another cult of wanting to feel special and smarter than other people. And um, nobody who is an actual scientist or astronaut or astrophysicist and is respected in their field and, like, is qualified reinforces the idea that the Earth is flat. But because of our ability now to curate our sense of existence... Um, you don't, you don't have to look, you don't have to look at reality unless you want to. And it's, we're sort of disintegrating into this postmodern insanity of like, what's even real anymore, right? So, um, that is such a good example of the spectrum that is Aquarius. And so this loops back into um, Saturn and Jupiter coming together in Aquarius. Uh, These two energies really balance each other out. Um, They're not, on their surface they seem like opposites, but when you study astrology or psychology, um, you understand that things don't exist in a, in a vacuum. And so they, they aren't opposites, they are partners. And ideally you want to be able to understand and use both of these energies in a balanced way so that you don't, you know, the pendulum doesn't swing quite so far. So Jupiter's goal is expansion and progress and growth and um, just accumulating experience and and positive, you know, positive experience, good experience. Jupiter is the good time guy. He is the good cop. And so he teaches through, generally teaches through positive experience. Now the shadow of Jupiter, of course, is an overabundance of growth or expansion. Um, having, you know, like consumerism is a, is a perfect example of an overactive Jupiter in the culture. We just keep buying shit we don't need. We keep accumulating things or, um, you know, our, our lack of a healthy diet is very Jupiter. Like we can't, we can't stop ourselves from indulging. 
So that's where Saturn comes in. And Saturn is about limitation and maturity and those experiences that are not fun, but they are necessary. So it would be like, in the most literal sense, if uh, somebody had a, you know, had a very Jupiter diet of just eating whatever they wanted all the time because they love food and they enjoy it and who doesn't. And they went to the doctor and the doctor's like, Hey, you're developing diabetes. You really need to like cut back. You need to eat better. You need to establish a decent amount of restriction and discipline, which is Saturn. And they refuse to do so. So they keep doing the same comforting, fun thing until they actually get diabetes. And then they have all these other health, health complications because they couldn't just stop themselves. They couldn't develop discipline. So Saturn as a teacher is sort of like the bad cop, right? And he smacks down Jupiter's progress when it gets to be too big. You know, Jupiter is like the balloon and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And then Saturn is the needle that pops the balloon because it's gotten too big. This is how these energies play together. And when they, when they actually are together, it, it can give this, um, I don't quite want to say the word calm. It can be like a sobering amount of progress, right? Like things tend to slow down. And so progress, any progress that occurs is going to take time and work, but it will be ultimately to the benefit of everyone. Um, And this also is, you know, Saturn's going to be working to limit Jupiter's excess, So I would not be surprised if we start seeing things like certain restrictions on the internet, which, I mean, I, well, I'm not even going to breach that subject, honestly, (laughs) because that's a whole other, like, episode. Um, But I suspect that that will happen because of the effects of misinformation. Um, So definitely there will be certain kinds of limits placed on what goes on on the internet, right? Like I said, it's the internet, Saturn return, that it's coming. Um, I suspect that the reality of progress, I'm hoping, will be more apparent to people to where, again, it's not like this instantaneous revolution because that doesn't last. It's more about slow, steady, but... but um, sustainable steps towards making things better, right? So it's like the argument for Obamacare and people were like, well, it's not good enough. I mean, it's better than nothing, right? Like it's a step in the right direction and it has held its weight. You know, the Supreme Court has not overturned it. So that's good. People like me who are self-employed can have affordable health insurance now so that if I need to go to the doctor and something's wrong, I don't lose my house, right? So it's kind of about tempering expectations and understanding that we can't have everything we want right away, but we should always still work with maturity and dignity and, and with both feet on the ground in the pursuit of our better angels, right? I suppose my work, if, you know, if that's the right word for it in astrology and other things, um, 
has been marked by my necessary craving for reality. And so when I present these things, it's not with the intention to hurt anybody's feelings or burst anybody's bubble. And it's worth noting that I have Saturn in my first house. (laughs) If you know what that means. Um, In my chart, I have um, Saturn and um, Neptune and Uranus all clustered together. So I find that people with that placement tend to be exceptionally grounded. And and I'm not saying that to be um, special or anything. It's just that's sort of how that combination of planets translates um, in people's lives and in their expression and their perspective. So um, I present these things simply because I hope that, I, I think that it's irresponsible to project and, and present a portrait of reality that is inherently um, so naive that it keeps people from being able to maintain their hope or, or their sense of responsibility. And those are very Jupiter-Saturn things. Jupiter wants hope. Saturn wants responsibility. And so when people present this image of a world that is magically going to get better on December 21st of this year or January 1st of next year, um, it's irresponsible because it sets people up for disappointment. And it also makes people think that they don't have a role to play. And so it's kind of, again, going back to, it's the same notion of this external savior, right? Whether it's God or a spaceship or the, you know, the quote unquote ascension of humanity, those stories remove us from reality. And it's when, when hope, the notion of hope gets too abstract and it gets too far removed from having both feet on the ground and just being able to live your life, um, instead of trying to run away from it. And that is something that I, when I discovered meditation as a teenager, found to be exceptionally comforting and reassuring. And it, because I, without going into a full autobiography, um, my parents were not terribly religious. My mom is loosely Christian, but um, doesn't, you know, she doesn't think that she's the only one who is right. Um, she's fine with all religions. She doesn't attend church regularly, but she tries to do good deeds. And, um, you know, I think to a certain extent, she certainly tries to live up to what she thinks is, um, what a good Christian is supposed to be, but she never pushed that on us in any way. I mean, we had values, but they were never attached to a notion of God or retribution or heaven and hell. Um, my dad was essentially very, very pagan and saw 
um, nature as, you know, and just the universe as the expression of divinity, which I certainly um, jive with that quite well. Um, We went to church off and on, my brother and I. My parents really left it up to us, like, you know, whatever you want to explore, whatever fits for you, we will, we will encourage you in that way. If my brother and I wanted to go to church, they took us, but they themselves didn't partake in that. Um, and I can look back on that part of my life now with such gratitude because I don't have a lot of the baggage around religion and spirituality that a lot of people, especially from the South where I'm from have. I wasn't brought up with, um, fear of hell or being told that I was inherently bad, but I also wasn't told that we were perfect angels. Um, and my parents were good about presenting us with, um, a fairly measured approach to reality and our responsibility of just being decent people in the world, right? Not because you don't want to go to hell, but just because like, it's the thing to do. Like you should just not be a piece of shit, right? Um, at least to the best of your ability, just don't be an asshole. I, some days I get that right. And some days I don't, um, I'm an Aries, so I can be, I, I can be a little sassy, um, working on that still anyway, um, but meditation for me. So when I, when I got older and I had gone to other churches, um, with friends of mine and realized the, the story that was being told where the earth is already fucked and none of this life matters and all you have to do is believe in God and put your money in the offering plate and, um, you know, follow, follow the rules set forth by the church. And if you don't just go ahead and say that you're sorry every Sunday and just don't worry about the world because, you know, God's coming back to save you. Or if you die, you're going straight to heaven and that's better than being here. And something about that narrative for me personally felt disingenuous. I, I did not have an exceptionally difficult life. I feel, I mean, I had some childhood shit happen, but I think everybody does. And I, as I've gotten older, I've realized that too like suffering is is you know just part of being alive and it varies based on life experience and a lot of it is out of our control at least until we're adults um, and have some more agency in our lives but I found meditation to be the first thing that didn't tell me to be afraid and run away from my life even when things were really bad um it taught me to walk into the fire and not to walk into the fire of being with a sense of heroism or, um, or reward even. It was just kind of this acceptance of right now things are bad and that's just how they are and you can do what you can do as one individual within the scope of your life to alleviate some suffering within yourself and maybe in doing so alleviate some of the suffering of people around you. But it wasn't a savior complex and it wasn't a denial of reality and it wasn't a denial of 
the fact that like being a human being is really fucking complicated (laughs) and messy and we hurt each other even when we don't mean to and it helped me to just be in the world in a way that felt grounded and honest right like I didn't I didn't need to reach outside of myself um, for the hope of a future that may or may not come. Like, I understood that my actions within the scope of my life would be what made my life better. It wasn't going to be bestowed upon me from Sky Daddy or, you know, like, the aliens that are supposedly controlling the simulation that we're in or whatever other fucking myth that's out there, right? Like, I think it is human nature to want things to be more complicated and interesting than they are. And that's gotten really out of hand this year because we can't even go out and do our day-to-day things. So the propensity for fantasy has just escalated exponentially. And I'm hoping, um, again, hope, you know, he used that word very tentatively, that the next few years will ground us back down. Um, But I don't have the expectation that that will happen. I'm just, I hope that it does, right? I'm not counting on it. Um, And it's certainly not going to happen overnight. But I just had to sort of, to the best of my (laughs) feeble ability, attempt to sort of ground a lot of these things that I see flying around the internet. Because it's like, they're just buying into a myth that you, the, the paradox of these savior myths, right? It's that it seems to be either that you are the savior, right? It's your job to go out and tell people the good word and, um, evangelize and wake, you know, quote unquote, wake people up with the special information that you have because you're so important that you get to save humanity. Or it's the story that someone else will, will save you for you, right? Someone else will swoop in and fix your life and you don't have to do anything. And both of these are not true experientially um there may be opportunities that come you know external opportunities for you to make your life better but you are the one who has to open that door or take that chance or work to maintain the benefits of that of that bit of luck right and this is another saturn jupiter thing so jupiter wants us to expand it wants to offer us new opportunities new experiences, it is called the great benefic because it's associated with blessings and gifts and just like things going better. Saturn (laughs) is the great malefic. Um, I personally like Saturn, but again, I, I have a good understanding and relationship with that planet. It's a very personal planet in my own chart. So I just naturally gravitate towards that style of, um, 
relating to life. Um, but it's called the great malefic because it teaches us through limitation. It sets the boundary. It sets the obstacle. Now, the key to using these together is to, first of all, understand that opportunities can come along, but the expectation that it's just going to all fall on your lap is not realistic. And ultimately, it's not fair to, you know, that's where entitlement comes from, right? Like, you just feel like things shouldn't be the way they are, but you don't want to do anything yourself to fix it. Now, I'm not saying that in the grand scheme of the world, because I think too many people want to save the world before they can even fix themselves, right? Like, if your personal life is a fucking shit show, deal with that first. Like, it's okay. You know, get get yourself together before you try to save the world, <laughs> for lack of a better expression. Uh, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, as they say. But it's also the understanding that um, change change requires effort and determination. So Saturn can set these obstacles or these limitations, and you can either, you know, run into a brick wall over and over and over and wonder why it's not moving. Or you can use Jupiter and that energy of opportunity to figure out how to go around it, right? Um, so when we hit a wall in our lives, it's telling us something, right? Like that is Saturn setting the boundary of like, hey, can't do this anymore. This can't happen anymore. And so we can stay there, which is why Saturn gets associated with isolation and depression, because if we're not willing to change, then that stagnation becomes this gravity that just sucks us down and makes us think that there's nothing else and there's no, there's no room for growth or change. And so we just end up standing in front of the wall and that's our entire life, right? It's defined by the fact that we can't just move through this wall. Or we can take a few steps back, recalibrate, and figure out a way to go in a different direction, right? But that requires effort. It doesn't take any effort to just stand in one place forever. It takes effort to strategize <laughs> And be willing to be uncomfortable and put yourself in new positions in order to create change in your life. So there is definitely opportunity here for prolonged progress. But again, it's not the kind of progress that just occurs out of nowhere. It requires effort. It takes time. It's not very sexy and like fun. Um... It's just, you know, part of being here. Um, and we each have a role to play in creating change. But I think, again, going back to that notion of Aquarius as the spectrum and, and being aware that the middle ground of that is being an individual and having your experience and your life and your unique ideas... And being able to express them 
but being able to express them within the collective group. And so diversity within the group is, that is Aquarius, right? You still belong, but you're still you. So you don't lose your individual self in order to fit into the group, but more so the group accepts you as you are and vice versa. So we're not in a position of thinking that we're super special or super smart or better than people. We just understand that people are people and we try to extend the same courtesy and compassion to others that we would expect. Now, don't take that too far in the sense of like, you should just let people be horrible to you. That's not what I'm talking about. I just mean broadly throughout the culture, we just understand that people are different and there are different expressions and that different life experiences influence who someone becomes and that's okay, right? But this is such a gray area and it's messy and it, it requires effort and thought and patience on our part and these are all things that are not encouraged and so my hope personally is that given that Saturn and Jupiter are coming together in Aquarius and we're starting a new year and we have these eclipses with the south node in Sagittarius and north node in Gemini that this is really an opportunity for people which is, you know, a group of individuals for us as individuals to collectively re-examine our relationship to our opinions and our relationship to understanding that if so, just because something works for me doesn't mean that it's going to work for you, doesn't mean that it's for everyone, right? Like one size does not fit all. But we as a collective group of people do share common threads of human experience like loss and grief and joy and happiness and curiosity, hopefully. And I think if these opportunities present themselves for us collectively to be willing to be uncomfortable in the pursuit of something better than what we currently know, I think that's a good thing. So just, it's worth noting. Um, and that's mostly what I wanted to say. <laughs> um, but I, I just get very, I get so wary of like the new agey love and light stuff that I see. And again, this is something that I have, um, personally, like, I've been in those circles, and I've seen, you know, like, seeing behind the curtain and realizing, like, it's not, there's this expectation sometimes with people that you're going to find something that just fixes everything for you, or that you're going to reach this, like, peak, um, what's the word? Like, this... Well, peak experience, I mean, that's a great way to put it. Like um, Maslow, the psychologist Maslow talked about this. Like we naturally seek peak experiences because they feel good, right? Um, but there is a certain aggressive, and I don't mean aggressive like in a mean way. I mean aggressive like this um, almost like a like a colonizing 
um, like an acquisition type of energy to that side of spirituality, if you want to call it spirituality, where people, it's like, um, it's that notion of, of continually leveling up and it never stops. And that's a, that's a Jupiter thing, right? Like Jupiter will just keep going until Saturn sets the limitation because it's gone too far. So there can be this idea in certain circles of like being all powerful or being all knowing or, um, you know, like it's just, it's really just like becoming, it's not about becoming better with this, with relation to your individual grievances and issues. It becomes this pursuit of being better than, right? Being better than other people, being smarter than other people, um, and it's not presented that way on the surface, but that's really what it's about. And then these little bubbles get created of people who think, you know, within the scope of that group that they're so unique and so special and they shouldn't have the same problems as quote unquote normal people. And then they like get offended when they do. (laughs) And so the notion that like, the goal is to escape your experience is actually quite entitled and lazy. The notion that you should just be able to check out and not have to deal with difficult relationships and not have to deal with rude people and not have to deal with, you know, folding your fucking laundry. Like, it's not, there is no get out of jail free card from life except death, right? We're here for a reason. And I don't pretend to know what that is. Um, I don't think anybody knows, but regardless, like, here we are. Why not attempt to have the fullest, truest experience that you can have? And why not try to, you know, accept that you're here? Um, and so when I, when I went through yoga teacher training and I had an excellent, excellent mentor, um, but when I had started teaching, I taught for almost three years and it just, I realized like how much of the culture around yoga and meditation and, and spirituality was really just another escape door, right? It's like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to face the facts of my life. So I'm just going to quote vibrate higher or I'm going to be positive vibes only, or I'm just going to go to yoga every day to escape my life only to go home and realize that nothing has changed. It's like, these are tools and you can have a hammer sitting in front of you, but if you don't pick it up and fucking use it, nothing's going to get fixed. And I think that's where the disconnect is, is that our culture is very instant gratification and pleasure oriented. And we just keep collectively denying that life sucks. Or if we're we're not denying that sometimes life sucks, it's like, it shouldn't suck for me, right? Like, I don't deserve this. It's like, the universe is impersonal, right? Like, shit just happens. And if it has meaning, it's because you decide 
to make that experience meaningful. You decide to make that experience a tool for you to live more deeply into your life rather than denying the experience or rejecting it. And I don't know if that's going to land with everybody. I don't know if that sounds too abstract. Um, And I hope that it doesn't. But I just want to, like, help ground these things down to, like, real, actual human experience instead of leading people to believe that we're going to wake up on the day of the Great Conjunction and the world's going to be better and we're all going to be nicer. It's like every day is different. And if you, you know... (laughs) assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you probably meditate or do some, you know, some form of practice. It's like some days it's right. And you're in it and you're just like in the flow that day and you're nice and you're generous. And then the next day you're the same old piece of shit asshole that you were 15 years ago. (laughs) And so it's like, it's just steady, steady, unsexy progress that is sustainable is better than trying to completely revolutionize your human experience in a single moment. You have to earn it. We all have to earn it. And so I hope that that becomes more real for people right? I think the best thing to do individually and collectively is to accept where we are. And and it's all well and good to look at solutions, but it's also good to understand that like good things take time and discipline and patience and humility. And no one person has all the answers and Rather than try to escape the experience that we're meant to have, we can just walk right into it and without being too terribly afraid. Because it's kind of like, I remember my son told me when he was little, he, ha- he was having this dream that this monster was chasing him. And... He, can't, he had it a few times, and I just told him, I was like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I, I just run. I just run away from it. And I was like, well, what if you turn around and look at it, you know? And so he did that, and then nothing happened, and he never had the dream again. Like, he turned around to face it, and it went away. And so that's sort of the difficult... Um, It's like when something seems more difficult than it is, right? Like if you've had to end a really hard relationship and you're dreading that, that feeling of like, oh God, like I'm going to have to have this conversation and I'm going to have to like feel these emotions. And instead of doing it, you know, some people just settle into, well, this is just easier. And it's like, it's easier day to day, but it's not easier when 20 years later, you hate your life, right? Like, this is about ripping off the band-aid and just accepting that, like, you're going to have to skin up your knees once in a while. And, and the expectation that life should be perfect is not only 
unrealistic and entitled, but it's also just really boring. If we weren't here to have a a vast array of experiences, there would be no point. It would just be, ugh, like, I mean, I don't know that many people think about that. Um, and, and two, I think sometimes, you know, all these things I'm saying can be taken to the other extreme of like, well, nothing has meaning and it's all absurd and none of it matters. And it's like, no, it's just things only matter to the degree that you assign meaning to them. And that's your responsibility. And I think sometimes that's the problem of modern society as a whole is that we don't, um, we find ourselves in this unique position of bestowing meaning and that's, that's a tremendous amount of responsibility and it requires a lot of maturity and, and thought and pause. Um, and that's a very Saturn thing to do. But it, it can also be overwhelming and can make life feel indifferent and cold. And so I don't want to sound like I don't sympathize with that. But it's better to keep your feet on the ground and take one step at a time rather than thinking that you can just... Um, you know, like one day you're magically going to sprout wings and fly. (laughs) So I wanted to sort of tie this up. Um, I have a lot of other things that I could say, but I don't know at that point, it might just be self-indulgent soapboxing and, you know, so I wanted to end with this quote from Carl Jung because he, his name gets tossed around a lot in new age thought and Um, I have to laugh because I feel like a lot of people who quote him in that context don't have not actually studied like the breadth of his work because it's very in depth and there's a lot of it and it's hard to read. Um, So this is just, you know, it's an example of people curating that reality to reinforce what they want. Um, So (laughs) this is um, a quote from Carl Jung from the Collected Works 13 um, on page 99 and he says people will do anything no matter how absurd in order to avoid facing their own souls they will practice Indian yoga and all of its exercises observe a strict regimen of diet learn theosophy by heart or mechanically repeat mystic texts from the literature of the whole world all because they cannot get on with themselves and have not the slightest faith that anything useful could ever come out of their own souls. Thus, the soul has turned into a Nazareth, gradually from which nothing good can come. For let us fetch it from the four corners of the earth. The more far-fetched and bizarre it is, the better. So, um, this is a... He's essentially just highlighting the fact that people, you know, we want something magical. We want something otherworldly. We don't like the mundane, but the irony is is in that merging of the opposites. It's like going back to meditation even, um, learning how to appreciate each experience while you're having it 
instead of expecting it to be better or different or trying to literally remove yourself from your life and remove yourself from the reality of your circumstance. The only way out is through. And the only way to make anything better is to first accept, like, here's where we are in this moment, right? Here's where my life is right now. And I have to be in it fully in order to have the energy and the resources to affect any kind of change. I have to know where I am. So, um, Carl Jung was definitely into some weird stuff and, but he, he was a firm believer in maintaining your worldly life and, um, being fully present for it rather than trying to flee it. And as a psychologist, um, you know, you inevitably see the problem with too much fantasy, um, And the way that we, as conscious animals, um, seek, it's like it's never enough sometimes, right? Um, And one last thing I'll say, because it just popped into my head and I think it's relevant, um, the, if you are into the Western magical tradition at all, or, um, Western occultism systems like the Golden Dawn and things like that. There's this notion that was flying around in in that time period of, um, well, it goes back further, but anyway, the great work, right? And there's varying traditions that aim towards achieving the great work. And the great work is largely misunderstood and, and purposely mysterious and veiled, and you don't really know what it is unless you're in an organization like that and you've been doing practices for such and such amount of time. But most essentially, as I have understood it, the great work is just achieving your life's purpose. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything grandiose. It just means like you understand who you are and what you're about and you live your life in pursuit of of having the fullest experience that is meant for you as a unique individual, right? Like you are fully present and embodied in your life. Um, and you live your life so that when it ends, you have done everything that you were meant to do, but done everything you were meant to do for you, not for other people, not to please your parents, not for notoriety. It's just like really about living your truest life in the way that suits you. And it's essentially getting to this place. It's kind of like um, the notion of contentment within meditation, right? Like you, you reach this space where you don't you don't want anything. And, and I'm not saying this to say that like desire is bad, right? Like desire is an indication of the direction that you want to go in, but it is possible to reach a point where you just, you are content, you are fulfilled. There's not a striving for accumulating new things, but there's also not like that feeling of stagnation and being trapped. It's just like, yep, I'm here. This is, this is what 
this is what I wanted and now I have it and I worked for it and it's great and I just like I'm just chilling um, and I as I understand it I, I believe that's what the great work is really about um and the, the notion of like the quote unquote higher self or the holy guardian angel or whatever terms, you know, get used within the Western tradition, um, people who tend to be very egocentric, um, whether they realize it or not, can associate that with like being all powerful, um, being super special, and then people who are more like fantastical thinking in the opposite direction can think of that as like becoming a god. Um, and it's really more in the middle of just like becoming yourself, not from a place of wanting power over other people, not from a place of wanting all this notoriety, but just of a place of truly understanding what you're about. And that's not going to look, you know, it might look similar to some other people, but it won't be the exact same thing. It won't be the exact same experience. And I think that's what all good, like truly objectively good artists do. And David Foster Wallace said this, you know, all truly great artists are simply being themselves. Um... And, and all of this stems from a conversation that I had with my husband the other night where we were just like sort of thinking about the trajectory of our lives and how, you know, if we had extrapolated out what we wanted 10 years ago out of our lives, like this is it, you know, and then it's, it's really, it's a weird feeling to be in that place and trust it and settle into it and just be content and grateful, but also not be, you know, I think even sometimes, um, our propensity to, you know, our culture always tells us there's something more. And when you reach a point in your life where everything's good, some people have this um, tendency to attract extreme experiences because they just expect that that's what life's supposed to be like and so not everybody knows how to settle into like a healthy rhythm and a healthy relationship and um I see this you know it tends to happen with younger people I think just because like they haven't been through their Saturn return yet and they haven't really like your brain isn't done yet um <laughs> But there can be this this feeling of like, oh no, it's too calm. I I need you know I need change. I need drama. I need and and then you kind of fuck yourself over, right? Because you think it's not enough. Instead of just being being cool with where you are, because it is good. I mean, it might not be. It might not be as riveting and exciting as you thought it would be but once you arrive it's just like oh okay like this is this is just good and that's you know in my attempt to tie all of these things together um that's what in in buddhism specifically is called the middle way where you're not you're, you know the pendulum isn't continually swinging to extremes it's just it's just in that smooth rhythm of the middle where 
you're doing the things that are meant for you and you're staying on that path and you might like weave a little right but you don't get so far off the edge that you fall off a cliff um I think that is ultimately what the goal is for the individual and the goal is for society. And so when people are like, can we just get along? It's not this kumbaya thing, right? It's not like we're all magically going to hug and love every single person, but it's about mutual respect and just like not thinking you're better than people and not being an asshole. (laughs) So if anything, on a global scale, I hope that that's where we end up with a great conjunction in Aquarius. It's just that we can respect We can respect people, and it doesn't mean being a doormat, but it also doesn't mean that we're all going to even like everybody. That's just not realistic. You're just not going to vibe with everyone, but you don't have to be horrible about it either, right? Okay. (laughs) So that's all I'll say on that for now. (laughs) Thanks if you've made it this far. Um, I was just kind of winging it today. But I am working more in depth with the Great Conjunction in terms of using it in your personal life um, through ritual and meditation and journaling and various exercises, um, as well as giving more specific historical context to the Great Conjunction on my Patreon page. Um, So I'll put the link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out there, Um, because I think this is a really good opportunity. So... It's there. You know, the door is there. Whether or not you want to walk through it, totally up to you. Um, Yeah, but I think overall it'll be positive. It's just not going to be, you know, perfect. It's never perfect, right? (laughs) Okay, Um, thanks so much for listening. I will try to be on here a little bit more often. Um... Things I feel like things are starting to settle a little bit, but we do have, oh, we're not through with it yet. Um, January's astrology has some rough points that we will be talking about, but for now, we have the eclipse tomorrow, um, December 14th, solar eclipse in Sagittarius, and then we have the great conjunction on December 21st and zero degrees Aquarius, so um, that's where we are. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back soon.